0: So we're going to talk about this. This is going to be about three weeks on the subject of sex. That's why there's this big three-letter word on your worship guide. We just thought we'd come out with that really strong and bold, I guess. Um, Our ministry, if you're new here and you're listening online, is kind of known for, you know, going there. And uh, sometimes I'm mad at God about that. This would be one of those Sundays that I'm sort of like, why are we known for that? Could we please not be known for that? Um, and so I'm just sort of being honest with you, um, but I think if you, we, we have a phrase, if you can go there, you, if, you can grow here, you know, to grow here, you got to go there, you could flip it, you could flip it, and so this is just a part of who we are, um, and so I'm gonna, this is going to be a three-week series, my wife's actually going to do next week, uh, and then I'll finish up the final week um, on, on this series, it'll be a three-week, we'll be packing a ton in here. This one's uh, an introduction Uh, kind of from a 30,000-foot view. So we're going to be dealing with sexuality and looking at it through kind of three observations or three lenses, but really just starting out with just kind of a a cultural perspective. You know, when it comes to the state of our world today, uh, specifically the Western world, even more clearly uh, the United States, uh, Christians are the majority. I don't know if you guys realize that. Christians are the majority, numerically, by far, by far. But sadly, contrast, we are not the primary influence. We're not. And I just, I'm just going to throw in a really, you know, controversial statement right out of the gate. But, for example, the LGBTQ community makes up 2% of the world today. But that community, this community's influence is far-reaching in society. So I'm just kind of painting a contrast here. And so what is up what, or what has happened with the Christian community, um, I would say over time, I think that we have lost our influence. And try to hear this out, and you'll have to fill in some of the blanks for the sake of time. But we've lost our influence because we gave up our integrity. So people are not listening to us because they don't, they never, they don't see it works. Why would I want what you have? Because I don't see how it works in your life. And so when the statistics say divorce is just as high amongst Christians as non-Christians, why would we want to hear what anybody has to say about marriage in the Christian community? That's just one example we could make a dozen. Is everybody with me so far? So we've lost some of our influence. I didn't say control. I said influence. And I think a lot of it is because an integrity issue. And so um, it's like um, uh, Ravi Zacharias calls it kissing Judas's we we're we're associating with God, but we're betraying Him with our lives. Um, we we uh, we tweet out certain things, but but we have but we're we're not weeding out certain things that are in our lives that are that are messed up and, and jacked up, and and so we often uh, we don't know how to communicate uh, the good news. Um, the church has brought a lot of bad news. And now the church has no news. We went from the gospel that was being promoted to a social gospel to a silent gospel. And yet we're the majority. Just something, this is gonna make you think, and, and that's really, this is more a conversation than a message today, okay? And so I, I grew up in the church. I slept in the, underneath the seats in the church. I was in revivals, you know what I mean, drinking a bottle, you know what I mean, with my parents in church, so I, I understand church, and I never thought I would see the day that I see today. I never thought, and I'm going to make, you're going to hear things, and they're going to provoke things, but I never believed in my lifetime that Christians would come to a place where they believe that Jesus wasn't the way, he was just a way. I never thought I'd see that day in Christianity, which, by the way, 77% in America believe Jesus is a way, not the way. That, that's, that, John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I'm the way. So Jesus said it, but the world is saying, mm, no, you're just, you're just a way. There, there's, there's other names, other paths uh, to God. I never believed I'd live in a day where I'd see the the, the redefining of the, the the marital union of marriage and the easy, or let's just say progressive acceptance in the church. I think whether you look at the Old Testament or the New Testament, we've gotten away from God's original design. But slowly, maybe even systematically, it's been redefined. And you know what? The majority is silent. Silent. And, and I've been guilty of that. And so we, we maintain our integrity uh, when we continue to... To live, you know, uh, God's ideals. But we lose our integrity, uh, and then we lose our influence without it. So how do we get it back? What do we, what do, we do? Like, what's the answer? And so I would say what kind of comes alongside this concern is we are in, um, a, a, we are biblically illiterate as a culture. Okay? So we don't, we don't know what we believe. Now, I don't think that's the exclusive answer. I think we actually need to know... Um, what we believe uh, in whom we believe and how we apply what we believe so one of the problems is you have some people who know what we believe here they don't know who they believe and they don't know how to apply what they believe and so that has caused us to lose influence as well as a culture. is everybody with me so this is going to be, I'm not, you're not going to hear a lot of peaks. Like if you were looking at a sound cue, you wouldn't see my, my voice go up and down today. But I'm going to be dropping some things that can help you, okay? So this is, this is just going to be a conversation to everybody. So I think we need, we need some apologetics. That's like knowing what you believe. But it has to be in the context of relationship. And it has to be within a motivation of care and concern for the culture in which we're called to reach and touch. Right. So this is important because there are massive shifts in our culture, uh, in the in the platelets of, you know, our belief system and our faith. And and so in addition to what I was just saying about what, you know, who, how, we also need to understand there's a spiritual dynamic that's going on. That there are spiritual influence. This is again from a Christian perspective that I am presenting this to you and all of you listening and framing him and online. This there's I believe there's spiritual warfare taking place to pull people away uh, from God. And so uh, I I wish I could talk about this fully, but you can see this in the Word of God that at every age and stage of society there are sometimes spiritual uh, strongholds over those. Periods of time. Okay? So, so in, in, we know in military there are levels of authority. In the spirit realm there are levels of authority as well. And the Bible says that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're doing warfare against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world. And so there are spiritual forces at work. And so we can't always combat things with a nice answer, a caring heart, No, no, no. We we need to know that the Bible says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to give us wisdom, to be able to know what to do in, in in any situation or scenario that we face, which, by the way, you can't sometimes just go to your Bible and go, where's the answer to that? And if you came to me and said, what's the answer? I said, I don't know. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. That's why Jesus left so that He can help you with this crazy kind of nuts world and what's going on and the challenges that we're facing as a church. Okay, so that's kind of an introduction. Turn to your neighbor and say, "Whoo!" Okay, that's like, wow, whoa, hey. All right. So some some cultural concerns. Uh, Thirty thousand foot view. An attempt to frame a conversation, kind of as we go forward in this series. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three critical observations, all right? And they're going to be a little high level, but I know you guys can handle it. But I'm going to start with a personal story. And this story, some of you have heard this story, uh, was life-changing for me. And I'm going to try to do it in a very short period of time. But, 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 but this, this story begins when I moved to Ashland from one location to another. We bought a house. How many years have we been in our house, baby, right now? Fifteen? Fifteen years, we moved to our home, and when we moved there, um, end of a cul-de-sac. We love where we live, um, across the street, right here and right here. Well, ultimately, not initially, but ultimately, three homosexual couples around us. And depending on your vantage point, you can be like, "Cool, no big deal." Uh, that might be your view. Another vantage point might, if you if you were raised like me, if you were raised like me, I'm, I'm what you call a spirit empowered, you know, Holy Ghost filled, Bible thumping, blood bought preacher. And 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 with that kind of environment, it's either go into kind of hiding and kind of shield yourself or engage. What what are we what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna be a stronger influence on the world than the world is on you or on your neighbors, on your friends, or are you gonna love your neighbors yourself categorically or completely? Like I'm just being real. That, that's where we kind of where we were. And so in my neighborhood at the time, I wasn't known as PD, Pastor Derek, you know, Papa Doc, Pastor Disaster, the Bishop. I wasn't known as any of those things, okay? I was just Derek. And, and so I'm out mowing my lawn one day, and, and all of a sudden my neighbor's waving at me. And um, I shut off my lawnmower, and my neighbor says in so many words, he said, hey, hey, can you come over here for a second? And he goes, hey, Pastor Derek. And, and, and all I can say is that in that moment, I was like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm like, he knows who I am. Been, you know I just felt like a spotlight on me and I' I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble now and 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 as sure as I'm born I'm not I'm not this smart I'm not this intelligent but I but I, I anticipated by 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 natural means or spiritual means that there was going to be a tough conversation coming that would include a difficult question that could produce a, 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 a conflict or a separation is everybody sort of with me you get the atmosphere that I'm in right now? Okay. And there's this line in our property, this fence line. And, and it's, like, it's like a line of spiritual demarcation. It was just like, <laughs> we'll see how this is going to go how this is going to go. And so I'm standing on my property, he's standing on his property. And I said, hey, and I won't say his name for the sake of being public. I said, uh, we'll, say, we'll call him Johnny. I said, hey, Johnny, um, uh, you know what? And, and in so many words, I said, I I kind of think I know what you want to talk to me about. I feel like I know what you're going to ask me. Before you do, can I just say something? And he's like, Yeah, sure. I said, Can we agree to disagree and still be friends? Because I like you. And he was like, This. And I'm not going to say it it felt like the longest pause in humanity. I mean, sweat began to go down my back. I just thought, Oh, this is going to be bad. And all of a sudden, he goes, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Never mind, never mind. And we shook hands over this property line, and we became friends. Now, listen, in that moment when we shook hands, I was able to, in my belief system, retain my integrity and not lose my influence. I was still able to have a personal conviction about something and at the same time be in relationship with someone. Listen, the Holy Spirit did that not some perfect answer that we're looking for. And the absence of that answer is what's keeping people silent. And the gospel is not being perpetuated. Those same people had, had used to come over our house and became our friends, and our kids grew up around them and swam in their pool, and we had tremendous relationship, just tremendous relationship. And so they came in. We were having small groups and having worship services, and and they, they were around us. It was it was beautiful while still retaining our integrity. We didn't have to we, our, retaining influence. We didn't have to lose our integrity. So that's. The real problem today, and it leads me to these kind of observations that you're facing, I'm facing, we're all facing. Three areas of observations. everybody with me? Okay, so here's the first one, okay? Big word. So, uh, we have a sociological observation. In other words, we have to determine what kind of culture we're in. I'm going to give you three of those uh, observations. If you want to put up all three of them, you can so they can pay attention to the media team. So we have a sociological issue. Uh, we have a theological, like how do we, what do we believe And then we also have a relational, how do we apply what we believe, okay? So sociological, we have to understand the culture we're in. Theological, what do we believe or what does God's word say and are we determined to follow that? And then relational, how do we apply what we believe in today's culture with regards to sexuality? Is everybody there? So the culture we're in, Romans 12, 18 says this. It says, we're, we're advised from the word. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, or as far as depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. It, how many know in the Greek, everyone means everyone? Turn to your name and say, neighbor, and say everyone means everyone, okay? In the Greek. Okay. So you guys learn Greek there. Awesome. So that includes people who do not believe like us or think like us. In fact, Jesus would lean into relationship with people who didn't believe. But we don't see that today in our culture. And a lot of that is because of this sociological problem that I'm talking about. So, yeah, but PD, how do you respond to non-believers or pre-believers, as I like to say? You know why I say pre-believers is just a sidebar? Because I think if they knew what we knew, they'd want what we have if we explained it the way and showed the way it was really working in our life. I just think people would want, they would, who wouldn't want eternity with Jesus if we were doing a good job living it out and spelling it out? Can I have an amen out there? Framing him. I hope you're hearing the, the word there, okay? So how do you respond to pre-believers who, are, who, who accuse Christians of being hateful to people who support lifestyles that are not in accordance with the principles of our faith? Well, I would just say this. We need a lot of wisdom. We need a lot of wisdom. We need, we need a lot of the Holy Spirit. And so this next part, you got to buckle up. Everybody say buckle up, Okay. Little, little, little teachy here, okay? So three lenses we look through in this sociological issue we have. The first one is, you got to see there's different types of um, uh, 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 belief systems. So we have a theonomist, theonomous culture. That's where the, theo means God. Autonomous means law, God law culture. So this is where God's laws guide us. It's the guide. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. You know, th- your word is a light into, a-, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. All right. So there are people in a theonomous culture that see that 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 God's law is 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 embedded in their hearts. It's embedded in their hearts. They, they or we emotively behave a certain way because we're in a theonomous mindset. In fact, our, the early framers of our country used this language. They said, uh, they said that uh, we believe these truths to be self-evident. Anybody ever heard that? It basically means it's just like emotively. It comes out of you. Um, and we don't have that in a lot of our culture today, especially in America. I don't know how to explain self-evident or this what this looks like. This natural—it's almost a natural law inside of us because of generations of being theonomous. Uh but and it doesn't necessarily always have to be um, Judeo-Christian. Like even in like the Asian culture, when when Stacy and I—I've been the principal. My wife's the principal of our school just across the street here. But I was for years, and we'd have the Asian community come into our school, and we'd interview them, and the parents when we were interviewing them we'd have to talk to them about modes of discipline because part of our school was character development. And in that desire to develop them, there had to be training and sometimes discipline. So we'd ask, what is your mode of discipline so that we could supplement, support that? And in so many words, not always, but there would be like, well, we don't really have one. To which I would say, well, how how do you get your child to do what they're supposed to do? And their response was, they just do they just do they just honor and obey it was self it was it, it just it was in them culturally that is not normal today that that that's changed and so and so that respect for authority or that having an authority or that having some kind of pivot foot in your life that roots you where you you wouldn't go against, you wouldn't, you wouldn't defy, you wouldn't resist that. That's that's kind of a that, that's I'm trying to get you to understand theonymus. Here's another one. Heteronymous. Heteronymous means there's another law, or it means a few, a few lead, a few rule, a few dictate law the mainstream of culture is dictated by the leadership at the top that's where you get marxism that's where you that's what you see in islam that's what you see in middle eastern countries when you're under an ayatollah as an example they'll tell you what you when you can eat and, and if if you got to fast and you got to wash your hands before you worship and you can't be seen this way or with so and so they they dictate life and 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 there's a lot of people in the world today that are under that but Are we one of those? In America today, the answer is no. We are what you call an autonomous culture. Autonomous means self-law, self-rule, self-dictates. I decide, you know, I am my own moral compass. I determine my own boundaries. And each person determines their own moral lifestyle. It's my prerogative Bobby Brown, in case you needed that, everybody. 80s, there you go. Okay? So the lens, listen, listen, I'm going somewhere with this, so I hope you're tracking. The lens that our culture is looking through is autonomous, and that presents for us trying to influence a dilemma. Okay? A certain problem. Because when your autonomy confronts my autonomy, there is chaos there's conflict ultimately and so in an autonomous culture if i'm going to give one someone my perspective about sexuality and are they going to give me the privilege you know of of listening to that receiving that and when or if they don't like it what will happen well they, what they tend to do is we switch to a heteronomous mode and then we dictate to someone or others what they should believe. And if they don't concur or receive it, we actually suffer rejection, even ridicule, even persecution. You, did you guys get that part right there? See, in an autonomous culture, when one disagrees with your posture, often people switch to a heteronymous definition, and, and that creates a social... Uh, sociological dilemma. It creates conflict. There'll never be unity when there is an autonomous culture because there'll always be conflict. And I would say it's diabolical. what does that mean? That means the devil's behind it. Yeah, that's... This is what you. If you read the book of Judges, which is a book on really the subject of war, but behind the book of war, you see there's a statement in the book of Judges, and it says uh, the people did what seemed to be right in their own eyes. Why was Judges so chaotic? Everybody was doing what they thought was right. It was an autonomous. We are back today in America. In we are the we are living in the book of Judges, in America, and listen, we'll be judged it's it's difficult it's hard to avoid that so underneath the problem that this dilemma the real problem is the spirit of the age we need the holy spirit to help us with the sociological problem we need the holy spirit to give us wisdom second corinthians 4:4 says this look in your notes it says the god of this age everybody say this age, this age. there is a god small g there is a spiritual force that has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so because of the bad representation of people, specifically the bride of Christ, specifically the church, people who, people who are under this spirit can't see the truth and the reality and the love of God that he has for them. Is everybody with me? That is our sociological problem. Number two, the theological problem, okay? Or theological observation or lens. This is what do we believe? What do we believe? What are, what are you saying we believe? And so there's a bunch of texts I could give you about sexuality. Um, I, I'll reference one maybe or two. But there, I also have some, some in here, I think in your notes, on race as well because there's a connection, a correlation that I would like to make. But in 1 Corinthians 6 just going to highlight some of verses 15 through 20. It says this, it says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Uh, Let me skip down to verse 20. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? So as Christians, we believe that we are a house for the Spirit of God, okay? That's significant uh, in terms of a theological belief system. So So, who you have with you will determine how you behave. Like, if you had a certain guest over your house, you'd you'd come out dressed. You'd you'd clean your house up, right? You'd be, you'd, you'd do certain things, right? Then it goes on, it says, even more, it says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. What was the price? Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the sins of humanity, and specifically yours. You were bought. So... So since you're not your own, it's not my body, I can do what I want to. No, 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 this is, no, 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 it's not yours. It's God's. And so God gave his life for you, you give your body for him. What? As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable service, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So that's our theological position. Then he says, so honor God with your bodies. This is, a, this is our belief system. And then in Romans 6 12, it says, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So, though, though you might have certain uh, 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 attraction, isn't attraction isn't the sin? Temptation isn't the sin. It's giving into that that's the sin. You might have certain desires. If I gave into all my desires, I, I wouldn't be married. But because of my understanding of what real love is, that it's not I get to do what I want, when I want, how I want, self-rule, but that there is a God rule, theonomous, I'm able to keep that commitment and say no to these things, even though those temptations still exist and those attractions still exist. Is everybody with me? And because of that, God blesses this, and it's a better way to live, and it's blessed my life and the life of many people around me and even generationally. Can I have an amen? Come on, Framingham. You say amen. Okay. So, basically the Bible says in Romans 6 and following, I'm I'm just highlighting, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness so that sin no longer be your master. Because you're not under the law as a Christ follower, you're under grace. Grace doesn't mean do whatever you want. Grace means you're empowered not to do what's a violation of God's word. You have the power to say no. Can I have an amen? Amen. All right? So, then... um, in terms of race, let me read these two verses fast. John 7, 24 says, Stop judging by mere appearances. So don't just look at the outside, but instead judge correctly. Galatians 3, 28, There's neither Jew Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So you can see God's view in his word to sexuality, and also t- it's, it, it's, not, it's not so much a sin issue or a skin issue with God, okay? It's a sacred issue. I hope this makes sense to you, but, but basically many people in our culture have a problem with Christianity, but generally speaking, people, generally speaking, people, uh, when it comes to racism, do not discriminate. Most people are like, no, 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 because God just made them that way. God gave them that uh, skin color. God, we know from the Book of Acts that He put us in a certain time, in a certain place, in history, and He decided those. He predetermined some of those things in advance, and, and we so we don't discriminate against race in general. I know there's a lot, of, there are people that are out there to do, but that's the minority when it comes to Christians. But as Christians, we believe discrimination ethnically is wrong because the race, the race and ethnicity of a person, why it's sacred. It's God decided that and you can't violate that ethnicity and race because that sacredness is a gift from God amen? amen and so we we know that but listen as Christians similarly we also believe sexuality is a gift and is sacred and it comes from God as well it's a gift from God and so it's so it's not what, what sometimes culture is telling us that we're telling them is that we're discriminating against sexuality. No, we're not. We're saying it's not discrimination for us. It's predetermination by God. He decided that. There, there's a difference. So it's not sin or skin. No, it's sacred. God determined those things. It's interesting that race... If you were talking to the liberal community, sometimes they'll they'll say, Why I would like to ask them this: why is race treated as sacred and yet we desacralize sexuality? See, I believe race is sacred and sexuality is sacred, and that's what we are holding fast to as Christ Father. So much more I can say about that, but while you have in the world values expressing themselves and exercising this, this, the freedom of choice, I 100% love that. I believe choice is the most powerful muscle you have. It is more powerful than your trapezois. It is more powerful than your latissimus dorsi. It is more powerful than your pectoralis major. It is, is anybody saying up for this? <laughs> Your quadriceps, your soleus, whatever. Okay, I could go on. Any other muscle, freedom is the most powerful choice. Absolutely. But it does not allow that choice, freedom to do so, a separation from the consequences of those choices. Okay? Choice and uh, consequences are inseparable. And so, and so we are and will as a culture continue to experience certain consequences in an autonomous mindset Uh, while we're expressing freedom, we're always going to see different things. If we're not subscribing to the God design and the sacredness of what he established. So theologically, Christians, I believe, should see it like this. Sociologically, we have this dilemma. Now the hardest one of all. The hardest one of all, last one, relational. How do you communicate what you believe? an impossible task to do this in a short period of time. But Matthew 9, 9 through 13, look it up on your own. But you can see Jesus' posture towards people who didn't believe or think like him. And you see it all through his life. He leaned into relationship with people who didn't think like him. And the Pharisees are seeing Jesus eating with tax collectors and eating with sinners. By the way, tax collectors was the lowest type of sinner categorically through the lens of the religious. And they were like, what are the disciples doing eating? Why is Jesus with them? And Jesus replies, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I would say this, I think Jesus is saying, I'm not focused on the sin behavior. I'm focused on the sin root, the sickness, excuse me, root. He's coming to heal. So in other words, whatever's happening on the outside uh, 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 is more a root issue of what's going on on the inside. And Jesus was coming as a healer. So he would always lean in because he was always trying to get to the heart of the matter with people. He didn't care as much about the behavior matter. Is everybody with me? Okay. So so we must engage, not isolate. When we don't engage, by the way, we're sending a message. People say, oh, you know, I love everybody and I, I don't judge. Oh, we're gonna go there? Really? Because when we're silent, we're saying, I talked about this last week, we're saying go to hell. When we're silent, we're saying, I don't care about the purpose of God for your life. I don't care about you being healed and discovering God's plan and perfect will for your life. Yet, all the scripture says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're the ones that actually are supposed to be the light unto the world and a salt and light unto the world. Is everybody with me? So we can't say, oh, I don't judge anybody. I love everybody. But we're just lip sealed. Okay? So I believe it. But But, Pastor, what's the problem? I'm trying to unpack the problem. We have a sociological dilemma. Sometimes we, we also have a theological dilemma. We don't even know what we believe. And yet I believe we can love our neighbor as ourselves, and we can still stand firm we, in our convictions uh, while we're loving people. Amen. We can still have integrity and influence at the same time. But it is hard. It's not easy sometimes. Okay, And so I think the only way to do it is through building relationships building relationships um not too long ago uh because i'm, I'm older now but i remember i was going to the gym around the corner here and 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 sometimes you know it's hard but this this guy came up to me and he was he was uh he was a self-proclaimed homosexual he was gay and he kept hitting on me and uh over and over again and he told me i was hot and so i wasn't gonna argue with that okay and and uh <laughs> I said we can agree to agree. Uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, I, I remember talking to him, and he, you know, he knew what I he knew it figured out that I was a pastor, and I can remember using the question that I started with in the whole service, which has saved me so many times. And he says, "Yeah, yeah, we can be friends." And before you know, it, we started talking about faith, and he had been to a Joel Osteen meeting, and he's like, Are "You like one of those guys?" I didn't even know what that meant, and. Um, and so we started. We started talking about things of God and faith, and and um and and, and every now and then he continued to flirt, and I'm like, you know, the ring, and, and I didn't think it was for you, but <laughs> apparently it is. Um, but anyway, um, but I was I was able to be an influence by building a bridge, not a barrier, not a wall. And, and to this day, you know, there's integrity intact, influence intact, uh, and my kids even know him and, and connect with him and are friends with him, and the relationship and the influence still exists. I have another friend, Pastor Zenzo. Some of you know him, and, and he came from Africa, and he's pastoring now just outside the city. And in Africa, the, they have a strong, in different parts of it, aversion to homosexuality. Like, it's, it's just it's, it's a part of it. And so he knew as a Christian that was wrong. But he couldn't get over some of the agitation, irritation that would come over him. And, 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 and what interestingly enough happened was one day he gets a phone call and his wife's sister called to tell her and him that she, she, she had come out as a lesbian and she was going to get married. And in that moment, he said it became personal. It became personal. And so when it became personal, he said, Everything changed. And so, this is in your notes, but dogmatism creates division, but personalization creates solutions. See, next thing is, when things become personal, for good or for bad, your heart changes. Your, ch- your heart will change. And I think this is a huge dilemma that we have, is that we really don't care. We really don't love all communities and I think until we can personalize it, or and hopefully you don't have to wait for it to be personalized to you, but if you can personalize it, solutions will come on how to be an influence. Listen, write this down. If your points push people away from the gospel, then your points are pointless. See, the Holy Spirit can point things out all by himself. All by himself. See, it's interesting how... I'm just challenging us, all of us, but we're sometimes very uncomfortable being distributors of grace because we're more afraid of breaking the rules. Ministry is messy. And and I think grace is first. Truth is second. If you see Jesus' life when he's talking to the adulterer, which, by the way, categorically was a sin, but look at how he behaved. Is anybody judging you? No, neither do I. Did he just leave it right there? No, he said Go and sin no more. So your first message has got to be not make a point. Your first message is let them know you love them and you do not judge them. and Make a difference and build a bridge. Uh, A pastor friend of mine in in New Hampshire, Anthony Miles, he's like a big brother to me, but he had a a gay couple come into his church. They got saved in the church. Uh, The church did a great job. By the way, this church does a great job with that as well. And... um, this is interesting, um, Framingham, I hope you're still with me. But this, these two guys decided to get baptized after they got saved. They get water baptized, they go home, and God, the Holy Spirit, just spoke to them about their relationship independently. They have a conversation the next day and decide to start living separately in separate rooms. And then they realized that what they had done independently was they didn't get acceptance where they were, ever and that was what it was more out of an acceptance issue than it was an identity issue and when they felt the acceptance from the local church then ultimately because they surrendered their life to Jesus from God God began to do a work in their identity but listen to this real little interesting nuance one of them had had a identity change a formal identity change and it was an irreversible surgery and so they came to the pastor and said exactly what had happened And wondered, would I still be accepted if I could never reverse the surgery? And all I'm saying is, we need to be able to be more concerned with the soul than the sin. The salvation than the sin. More concerned with the internal than the external. And I think we need a certain grace. And I don't know if I can do this. It's possible to do it today. But, But isn't it interesting how those of us, many of us in this room have gone through divorce. And how how we can, we can look at that situation differently, yet it's outside of God's will. Cohabitation is outside of God's will, and we have a grace and a capacity for that, but categorically it's no different than other things that we're dealing with today. God wants us to have a grace for all situations and all circumstances that we're facing and be able to look at people as a soul, not look at people who are in sin. Can I have an amen? Praise the Lord. I can't do all this today but let me let me skip to this final point and and let me just say this we can't be a, we can't be afraid of dark secrets um when i think our goal as a church should be to bring things to light can i have an amen, amen. it's not to it's not to expose things it's to expel them darkness you're always going to be better living in the light always and And I think there's a difference. I think that what we see today is people are coming out, right? Coming out, this is who I am. These are my behaviors. Whereas I think what should have happened, I'm just saying this for our church now as your pastor. I think what should be possible is people can be honest. So coming out says, here are my behaviors. Being honest says, here are my struggles in my beliefs, I don't think people would come out out there if people could be honest in here. I don't know if you got how powerful that point is right there. That is what will bring transformation. Darkness to light, being able to talk things out so we can work things out. See, where sin escalates, the Bible says grace must grow and escalate as well. And so the answer to the problems that we are facing today, ultimately the challenges that we're facing today, is more Grace, Amen? Amen. Can you stand to your feet? I'm going to ask Pastor Chris to come to the front as well in the Framingham campus as we begin to pray together and transition. I know there was a lot there that I couldn't talk about today, but we'll address it as fast as we can. Would you all be very, very still, and let's just pray together with every head bowed, every eye closed.